0: Welcome back to So Money, everybody. It's our favorite time of the week. Ask Farnoosh Friday is here. And boy, do we have some good questions. Everything from breaking down President Biden's capital gains tax proposal. I promise it won't put you to sleep. It's actually pretty interesting. Someone's got a question about selling artwork, how to make that an investment, because that's something that I've been dabbling in. Should someone pay off their student loans or get their house painted? You know? Lots of important questions. We're at Crossroads, America. So I'm going to try to help. And ahead of that, we'll just want to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the week and some of the things that we learned on the podcast this week. If you're still catching up, would encourage you to take some time to go back and listen, especially if you're interested in learning about how to get richer. And if you're a woman listening to this show, whether you're a mother or single, not a mother, divorce, wherever you are in your life, uh, not interested in having kids, that's cool too. Uh, it's important for you to have money. As you know, this is a big thing of mine. And so this week we had two really fabulous guests. On Monday, we kicked things off with Catherine Alford, who is the author of a new book called Mom's Got Money. And this book, I have to say, I just wanna uh, just really embrace my friend Cat here because she has been working tirelessly to bring this book to the world to us for 5 years. I was there when she told me about the idea and I've been helping her as much as I can because it's so important for women to be authoring these books, to be sharing their messages, Cat's own story of how she became the breadwinner in her family, sort of unexpectedly on top of becoming the mother to twins, which also was unexpected, putting her husband through medical school, all of it, how she did it and what is her best prescriptive advice for fellow mothers, whether you're a single mom or you're in a partnership. And we just really celebrated this moment for her and also this advice that she has for all of us moms out there trying to make the money. On Wednesday, we followed up with Rachel Rogers, my dear friend Rachel, whose book, highly anticipated book, We Should All Be Millionaires, is out next week, May 4th. So ahead of that, gave you a nice tease. And you know, Rachel is all over social media sharing her own journey. She's a mother of four. She is the breadwinner. She runs a business called Hello7. And since last summer, amidst the Black Lives Matter movement, she became more vocal. She started using her voice and her business was very successful up until that point. And it just skyrocketed from there uh, because she was being her authentic self. And so we talk in our discussion about the importance of not holding back, what that means, what that looks like, and how that can really impact your community, but also bring you to the next level in your career, in your financial life. And why is it important for women to be millionaires? And, you know, some of us don't want to get there. And what advice does she have for those of us who are very content in our financial life, making what we're making, or we look at that seven-figure payday and we're like, uh, it's a little scary, you know? I don't know if I've got it. I don't know if I want to do the work. I don't know if I want to be there. Rachel is just phenomenal. If you're not following Rachel Rogers, if you do nothing else this week, just follow her. Your life will improve. Now let's pick our reviewer of the week. And this week, we're going to shout out, say thank you to... Swimmer01 who left a review saying, excited to continue my financial, I don't know, it got cut off. (laughs) Four stars. Thank you, Farnoosh. I feel like I've heard every ask Farnoosh in the past three years following graduation from graduate school in May. I will be starting my first full-time job in my career field. I'm excited to start applying all of the knowledge I've learned these past few years, 401ks, vacation funds, savings that I was unable to apply during school. While I don't agree with everything she says, Farnoosh provides a positive and female voice in the financial world that must be heard. Yay. Well, I love a good debate, you know, me, and I don't agree with everything and people don't agree with me on everything. So that's good. We need to have discourse. And I'm so glad that despite the fact that you're not aligned on everything that I believe in, that you still do believe in the greater good of this show and what it's trying to execute. And I'm so happy for you, Swimmer01. Get in touch. DM me on Instagram at Tarabi, or you can email me, Farnoosh at SoMoneyPodcast.com. Let me know you left this generous review, and I'll be in touch with a link where you can sign up for a time to connect with me. And we'll talk about all this great stuff you've got on deck. Now, I want to shift attention to nextadvisor.com where I'm a contributing editor, really proud can I say that, of an article that I wrote this week that came out this week, five people working to make the housing market less racist and their best advice for black buyers. Check it out, it's on the cover. If you go to time.com forward slash next advisor or just nextadvisor.com. And this is the inaugural post of a monthly column that I am starting on Next Advisor called Closing the Gap. And Closing the Gap is an opportunity to explore systemic inequalities in our financial system and highlighting the people who are working to change them. So this month, April, I started with the black homeownership gap. It's a 30% gap, y'all. It's huge. It's not going to go away overnight. This is something that has been in the works intentionally for generations. I it's hard to hear that sometimes when you think like racism is intentional and systemic racism is intentional, but It has been and it continues to be preventing Black Americans, Black and Brown Americans from getting a home, owning a home, which for so many of us has been a tool to build wealth. So it contributes to the wealth gap. And I talked to so many incredible people from different angles, right? So people who work in the law. So Angela McKnight, who's a New Jersey Assemblywoman, who is proposing a bill to address racial discrimination in home appraisals, which we know is happening. And then Lisa Phillips, who actually will be on the podcast later in a couple of weeks. She's the founder of Affordable Real Estate Investments. She is investing in black communities and along the way, helping black and brown investors become wealthier through their investment in these communities. It's really, really wonderful work that she's doing. Yami Rose, also founder of, of Color, he was my entrepreneur in the piece, uh, the person who is developing a new enterprise to close the wealth gap, but also teach people how to navigate the home buying experience, uh, how to improve your credit, how to avoid, how to navigate Discrimination, unfortunately. All of these people collectively working so hard in many different respects to address the black homeownership gap. And the article goes through what they're doing, but also their advice. And their bottom line advice, overarching advice, I would say, for all of these is this racism is going to rear its ugly head at some point in the home buying process. Likely, very likely. You don't want to go into this process blind, assuming that everything's going to be kumbaya. You need to be aware, you need to stay vigilant. And it's unfortunate you know, that we have to give that advice, that like the advice is like, you have to react to this unfortunately, or be prepared and arm yourself with the knowledge and the tools. But that is the world we live in today. Next month, I'm gonna be talking about shared parenting. When people get divorced, the presumption is that mom is gonna have primary custody. The courts lean towards this. Culturally, this is what we think needs to happen but it's to the detriment of everybody when only one person is handed sole custody or primary custody. I mean, assuming both parents are healthy and able, it should be a 50-50 situation. And this is not the law in many states. In most states, this is not the law. And culturally, this is not what we lean towards. But uh, there was a big movement to change this. And it is bipartisan, um, I'm really excited to introduce this to readers. Um, my, I myself am getting very educated on it, and it really does trickle down to people's bottom lines. You know, when mom is the single mom who is primarily in charge of her child and the care of that child, you know, it affects her bottom line, it affects her time, it affects her livelihood. And similarly, dads who may be in that position, but it's mostly the moms, right, who are in that role still and don't have to be. And it's to the betterment of moms and child and dads in society when a child is raised with equal involvement from two parents, two loving parents. And so that's the next column. And if you've got ideas for how we should be closing the gap in other ways, how maybe some systemic inequalities are impacting the financial livelihoods of people, groups of people, you know how to reach me. Okay. It is mailbag time. Let's hit the questions. First question is from Elena, who says, I'm hoping you can explain Biden's capital gains tax proposal. Yes. So this tax proposal it should not be news to us. This is what he campaigned about. And he's finally kind of given us the details. And it's all in relation to the American Families Plan that he talked about this week, uh, which is a $1.8 trillion plan to help families, which I'm all for. You know, it includes things like a $200 billion spend to publicly fund universal preschool for all three and four-year-olds. There is a commitment to making community college free for the first two years, limiting the child care expense for low and middle income Americans, giving tax credits for spending on childcare, making those permanent, making health insurance purchased on the exchange through the American CARES Act capped so that it doesn't uh, become too expensive like it currently is for some families. So I'm a fan in general of the American Families Plan we got to come up with the money. And so part of that is increasing the capital gains tax. This is the net income that we make on the sale of stocks, bonds, real estate, these assets, right? It will propose a long-term capital gains tax increase for households making more than a million dollars a year. It's going to jump from 23.8% And that includes a Medicare surcharge of 3.8% to 43.4%. So almost double what the current tax is on long-term capital gains for Americans in this high-income bracket. And again, it's going to apply to the returns that we get on assets held in taxable accounts and that are sold after more than a year. It also will affect uh, some of those of us selling real estate and cashing in big time. But just a sidebar, if you are a homeowner selling in this market, which Congratulations you're probably going to make a killing. There is still that special provision if your net take home from the sale of that real estate from the sale of that property is less than 250k or 500k for married couples, you don't pay taxes on those gains. It's whatever is over that level. If you sold your house and you cashed out and you made $300,000, you're going to be taxed on that $50,000, the difference of 300 minus $250,000. If you are a married couple selling a home for $300,000 net, you don't pay taxes on that. And even then there are ways to reduce you know, your tax exposure. Even if your net is more than this 250 or 500 on real estate, uh, you can deduct things like home improvement costs, try to get under that 250 or 500,000 level to avoid the tax burden. But essentially this is going to increase capital gains tax on the rich. And it's going to then help to pay for the American Families Plan. I support it. I'll be impacted by this. Our household will have to pay higher capital gains tax. I'm okay with that. It's not something that all Democrats like. It's definitely not something that many Republicans like, but the money has to come from somewhere. And I personally agree with it. If you want to learn more about this, there are so many articles. Um, I like to read CNBC.com. I like to read the New York Times. I like to read the Wall Street Journal. I like to read Investopedia. I like to read all of it because I think it's important to get the whole picture. Not every article is going to give you all the details. I had to learn from reading across all the media what this actually will outline and For the source, go to whitehouse.gov. The president, the White House, they've outlined everything there as well. All right, Sarah has a quick question. This is, I think, capturing the zeitgeist. We are all in this boat. She says, with quarantine ending, how are we supposed to add back all of the fun, the activities, the travel that we have been not experiencing in a sustainable way. In other words, in a financially sustainable way, right? So you don't go overboard because yeah, there's definitely this impulse right now. It's all about impulse to book that vacation, to go on that road trip, to go to that concert, to go this, go there. And you can definitely put a hole in your pocket if you don't rein it in, if you don't control the emotions. So I am a big advocate for planning, right? So you It's like going back to basics. This isn't a new rule that I'm about to unveil here. This is all about the good old fashioned budgeting, planning, having foresight, and being committed to what is important to you. You're going to get bombarded with all the great offers, with all the great ideas from all the different people and all the different websites. And you're going to experience some FOMO on the Instagram for sure. I see people already going to Jamaica, friends of mine. I'm like, y'all didn't waste any time, did you? So I'm definitely feeling like the little trip that we planned to Cape Cod in August, um, I'm going to be a little sad until that time comes. I'm going to be a little, you know, feeling maybe I should have planned something else and taken advantage of this opportunity, this moment, right? We've all been waiting for this to be vaccinated, to feel like we can go out safely and integrate and and mingle, but we've got other things that we need to do, right? We want to we landscape. We have a second car that's coming soon. And, and so I have to put that in the context of all the other things that are happening. And so really the advice to Sarah and all of us in this like hyper emotional state that is never a healthy state to go and spend is to breathe, get out a pen and paper, make a list of all of the things that you want to invest, spend on this summer and prioritize you know, and be realistic, line that up against your income. It's just the basics, but we haven't really been doing this, but it's really important to plan, to prioritize and know that you're in it for the long game. We don't know what's going to happen in the fall. Like we don't know, hopefully we'll be able to maintain a low level of infection. Of course, we're all probably going to get revaccinated. So like, this is just part one of what is going to be a long journey to re-emerging into society. Like don't go crazy. I say you want to re-emerge gracefully. Pace it with your money, with your mind, with your actions. You know, this isn't this is an MTV spring break. <laughs> it's like, let's let's all just calm down for a second. All right. Very important question from a friend of the show, S G W A on Instagram. Farnoosh, should I pay off 11000 dollars in student loans or get my house painted? I'm leaning towards painting the house. You know, that might sound irresponsible to some of you listening. And I can see the headline now, financial podcaster encourages spending over paying down debt, exclamation point. But You know, painting your house is not a small deal. You're going to see this home when you drive in every day, when you walk past it. Curb appeal does add to the value of one's home. If you're in the market to sell, this could be a great way to increase your home sale and cash in, make this an investment even. But it's an investment in your life and in your happiness too. You know, I get such pleasure. When my lawn is mowed, <laughs> you know, I just stare at my lawn. I'm like, this is gorgeous. I feel so proud, right, as a homeowner. So there is some value to that. And it's not maybe a financial value, but there's value to that. And you know, being so money is not just about making decisions based on the math, but also on the contribution, the value that some sort of expense or investment is going to make in your life. Does it contribute to fulfillment, to happiness, to appreciation. And I I don't know how much you love your home, but I would say this could be a very great way to spend your money. And, you know, with regards to your student loans, I am not telling you to Skip your student loan payments, of course, like continue to pay your debt on time. This is the thing about debt. You know, I'm talking about debt like student loan debt or a mortgage, something that is a term loan. It's on a timeline, right? You incur this debt because it is a tool to help you in your life to move through life in a more affordable, flexible way. Because if we were all expected to just pay for college in one gulp or put down 100% for a home right away, we couldn't do it, right? So we need the debt to give us that time, that breathing room, that management to work on that payment, but over here also work on some other things that are important to us. And so what is important to you is different from what is going to be important to your neighbor, your parents, your family, your friends, society, but figure out what's important to you. If this house painting is important to you, then I would say do it in conjunction with paying down your student loan debt. Your painting of your house is someone else's, you know, plastic surgery, freezing of their eggs, uh, buying a new, you know, summer wardrobe and planning a trip to Jamaica. (laughs) Like, do you, okay, I guess is the overarching advice, but do you responsibly and mindfully, and I think you're winning. I think you're being so money. So yeah, you're, I'm giving you the permission to go paint that house if that's what's important to you. And you can also do that with paying down your student loans. And the next year you might be in a similar predicament. You've got $11,000. Do you chip away all your student loan debt, maybe then it makes more sense to you because there's nothing else on the horizon that's as important or more important. Stacy, last but not least, has a question about art. And she said, you know, Farnish, in the past, you've talked about purchasing art as part of your investment strategy. I'd love to hear more about this and how you decide which art to purchase. My husband and I are interested in buying more art for our home. We have no idea where to start. Oh my gosh, Stacy, I feel you. I was in this camp earlier this year when we were embarking on the remodeling of our home. And I knew that I wanted to include more art pieces in our home. And I have been dabbling in art for a number of years now, starting with a piece that I bought from an art dealer in Denver, a piece by Todd White. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Todd White. He's the original artist for SpongeBob SquarePants, true story. And he's also got a whole like art life where he creates these, I think they're funny, they're jazzy pieces. Not all of them are my taste, but I actually discovered him in a restaurant in New Orleans. My husband and I went for our engagement dinner and um, I was like, this artwork is hilarious and fun and lively and would love to like learn about this artist. And he had a gallery in New Orleans. So we just kind of followed the breadcrumbs. And I think that's where you got to start. You got to start with inspiration. And now that you know you're interested in art, I think you're going to see how art just arrives into your life. You'll start noticing things. You'll start to notice you know, restaurant (laughs) artwork, or you'll want to stop into a gallery in town that maybe you hadn't before. You'll go on Instagram and look at hashtag art or impressionist art. Keep it specific when you're filtering through Instagram. Instagram can be a really great place to get inspired. Following designers, people who decorate homes, following artists, obviously, and then who do those artists follow? It's a really lovely rabbit hole. I've gone down it many times, but that's how I have actually found recently some art pieces, you know, friends who've been tagging their artists on their pages. And I'm like inspired by that go to the artist's Instagram page, their website. Lo and behold, I've bought some pieces from people like happyart.com, hapiart.com. I've also found success on firstdibs.com, which is generally an expensive website for all sorts of antiques and fashion and clothing and art pieces, but I have found that you can get some really good art deals there. Actually, one artist I found and I went to her website after discovering her on firstdibs, I went on to her website and then i had my home decorator that i'm working with reach out to her to commission a piece and also get a discount on an existing piece that she had in her gallery and so i use first dibs sometimes as a primary source but then go off first dibs to find the artist on their own website and i think the artists appreciate that because then you don't have to pay first dibs the fee i have actually purchased art on first dibs too so here's another strategy you know there are artists that I love. Their stuff is way too expensive. It's like thirty thousand, fifty thousand dollars. I'm not. My budget is like zero dollars to thirty five hundred, four thousand um, dollars for an original piece. And but sometimes you find artists that are just way out of reach, but you still like their stuff. And occasionally they'll find you'll find pieces that they have printed limited edition prints that they have um, giclée like made it look like it's Hand done, and then they've signed it on the back, and so you can get that for like two thousand to five thousand dollars as opposed to fifty thousand dollars. So I did this with um Damien Hurst recently, who's this very famous British impression artist, and he his stuff goes for like ridiculous. I mean, he's doing work for Chanel and he's commercially very successful, which is always a great indicator of an art that's going to appreciate is if the artist obviously is well known, does commercial work, it's it's going to at least retain its value. And if you buy something that is in limited edition, a limited run of something, even if it's a poster, um, that will at least retain its value. I have, I have learned because it's limited, it's scarce. And so I found Damien was doing a flash sale of some of his work. And I bought a piece and it came, it was beautiful and we're going to get it framed. And I'm so excited. And listen, I don't buy art that I plan to sell. (laughs) I buy art that I love, that I think is going to look great in my home, that I'm going to love looking at every day of my life. But I am actually looking to sell that original Todd White piece that I bought all the way, all those years ago. And I have found that it has at least retained its value. Um, but that's not good enough, right? I want to have it appreciate because if I'm going to now have to sell it, usually through an art dealer or an art broker, I have to pay them commission. So I'm not going to make all my money back in that Todd, Todd White piece. I'll probably make a little bit less than what I paid. But I also kept it for, you know, now it's been almost 10 years. So I have enjoyed it all those 10 years. I'm selling it now because our new home, really, there's no place for it. And that's it. Um, If anyone's in the market for a Todd White piece, let me know. But I have posted it on artbrokerage.com, which is actually a pretty good site. eBay is also a great place to sell. But Art Brokerage takes a pretty big chunk. They recently reached out to me and said, we think we should lower the Todd White piece to generate more interest. I was like, fine. But you know, it's no skin off my back. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, I'll delist and maybe my kids will take it off my hands one day. But that's the thing about art is that it's a gamble. It's an alternative investment, just like Bitcoin, just like a horse, just like coins. It, you do it because you have a passion for it and you enjoy it. And if you can make money off of it down the road, mazel tov. But this is for me more something that I consider to be an investment in my life's fulfillment. And then from there, If I can make money off of it later, if I choose to sell, wonderful. But in the meantime, I've really enjoyed it and I have benefited from it. You know, if I'm going to quote unquote lose a thousand dollars from the Todd White piece after selling it, well, it was the cost of owning it for 10 years. You know, I paid a hundred dollars a year to have it hang in my house. That's not bad. So I look at it that way. And that's how I approach art. But some great sites, artbrokerage.com, first dibs, Instagram, and just start noticing art online, offline, and uh, make it fun. That's our show for this Friday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, send me your questions through Instagram, DM me there. It's a great place to make sure that your your answer does reach the show. Or you can always email me, farnish at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your weekend is so money.